10 Octobers ago, my grandma called me on the phone and she invited me to come back to my home church in Danville, Illinois, because there was a speaker who was young at the time who was going to share this story that she really wanted me to hear. So I did, and I'm so glad that I went. Uh, the, the person that was speaking, his name was Brandon, and again, he was young at that time, but he's no longer young. <laughs> and the story that he told was fascinating. And he was talking about him and a group of friends moving into a neighborhood in Indianapolis that was struggling. And the goal was simply to try to be good neighbors. So they did this. And over time, one of the things that happened with the neighborhood is that there was a strip club in town that attracted all kinds of crime. So the neighborhood came together and they, they worked to petition the city to revoke the liquor license at this strip club. And the city did. And the strip club closed. And then the Lord worked things out where Brandon was able to spearhead this effort to help buy this building that had been a strip club and turn it into a youth center. I remember just like listening to this story and I couldn't believe it. And he had just, he just returned not long before that back to his home church in Indianapolis, Meridian Church of God. And I think I heard, I was talking to some of the people there, and I think I heard something about a carpenter with the name of something like Fig, Figgy, Figgy, who was, who was pretty wild and uh, had maybe too much fun taking the stripper pole out of this building. And, and there was even a picture, I think, of this crazy pastor, and I think his name was Steve, and he looked a little too happy to be taking a picture with a stripper pole. <laughs> but I just remember like listening to this, and one of the things that I loved about this speaker was the way, the shrug with it. And because like we were impressed, the people sitting in the audience were like, How, what's the plan? How do you do this? And he would shrug and say things like, there's only one Savior and it's not me. And then t telling about it, he, he would just say, you know, all we are trying to do is love our neighbors. And then at the end, the big ask, right? That they give money to it or, or come on a mission trip to go love the neighbors in the Bates Hendricks neighborhood. But instead it was, we don't need you to love our neighbors. We need you, we, we just challenge you to love your own neighbors. And I just remember thinking that is just so different from about every other thing that I've ever heard, and it's so cool, and it stayed with me for a long time. Well, a lot's happened, and, and maybe, uh, maybe you may, might guess where this is story going, but to me, that story was just a great story about doing a great job of putting first things first, that call to love our neighbors. So we're in this series, this is the final message about putting first things first. It's taken from Jesus who said in the Sermon on the Mount, but seek first the kingdom of God and seek first God's righteousness, rightness, justice. And, and he said, "All seek that first. And then when Jesus was asked about what is the first most important commandment, Jesus didn't say they're all equally important, follow them all equally. He did answer and he said the first one was this. Love the Lord, your, this in Mark 12, 30 through 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So today we're going to really focus on the, the idea, the challenge that Jesus gave to love the Lord our God with all of our strength. So we're going to look at the, what's called the Great Commission. It's, it's the thing that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, met with his apostles. And this is the thing that he told them to do with their strength, to use their energy, their efforts to do this. So we're going to go Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them. Again, this is resurrected Jesus. is after the resurrection. He meets with his disciples. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now this morning, I've got some bad news, okay? Go ahead and groan and get out of the way, but we're going to talk a little bit about grammar and Greek. All right? Now here's the thing. I go to a school every week, and I volunteer at the level that I am, which is second grade. So this is not going to be a senior or a college-level grammar lesson. This is like a second grade. So, so we're lucky there. It may be grammar, but it's about second-grade-level grammar, okay? Well, in, in Greek, it does get pretty complicated. <laughs> and we're going to try to, again, make it as simple as possible, um, but especially the word go. Now, there, uh, there was a song when I was growing up, probably that figgy guy liked, called Jesus Commands Us to Go. Keith Green. And that is true in English, if we look at this, right? Therefore, go. But it's more complicated than Greek. <laughs> All right, this is not sounding like second grade, is it? Sorry. So the word go there is, is not... there. Jesus could have commanded it. There was a tense that was a command, and it was the, an imperative tense. Uh, go is not an imperative. In fact, this, again, this is confusing, but stay with us for a while. It is a passive participle. All right, what does that mean, right? Uh, there is an imperative in here. There's one imperative verb. There is one command. Jesus commands here. And you know what the command is? Not go, Sorry. Love. The, the command in here, we, we added the word make. The command is actually to disciple. Now, disciple, you know, is normally, we use it as a noun, but here it's a verb. It's kind of like school. We, you go to school, it's a noun, but when a teacher goes to, or somebody goes to school you, like it's a verb, right? So disciple is being used as a verb here, and that is the imperative. The commandment is to Go disciple or make disciples. That make word is just added in English to try to help people understand. This is the command. It's to make disciples. And then uh, there, those words, baptizing and teaching, those are also are used in the Greek to kind of put action, their, their participles. And there you see the normal ing ending. But they're modifying, they're describing the making disciples. So part of that, this is the description, baptizing and teaching is a description of that process. All right, 
So, again, I know I've probably lost over half of the people. Sorry. (laughs) Let's back up again, because the main word we want to focus on today is go. So we're going to try to say two really simple things. Go is not an imperative. Go is not a command. Catch that? It's not a command. Go. And it, too... And this is more interesting, more surprising, more confusing, but go is passive. All right, so again, we're going to try to stay simple here. So we're going to use an English sentence. She is teaching. All right? So she is the subject, and it's active because she is the one doing the teaching. Does that make sense? That's the way to say it in active tense. She is teaching. She, the subject, is the one who's doing the teaching. Now we're going to switch it over to passive. She was being taught. She, the subject, is receiving the action. She's, she's receiving it. Does that make sense? How do we do that with go? Right? There's no real simple way, and the, the, the people who translate the, this Koine Greek into English, it's it's difficult sometimes. It's not an exact science. And they're doing their best to, to and it's not a wrong. It's good. Therefore, go. But how do we understand that as going as a passive thing, right? Well, one of the things is trying to figure this out. Going isn't a command to either be obeyed or disobeyed, right? We're, this isn't a command. We can either do it or not doing. It's just something that happens to us. All right, so interesting. Um, so it's one of the ways that we can maybe try to understand it as in like wherever you go, wherever life carries you, wherever you find yourself, go. That's where you are. Make disciples. You don't have to go somewhere else to do it. It's like a wherever you are, there's a call to disciple. Jesus said something really fascinating in John 3, 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Ten Octobers ago, when I was sitting in my home church in Danville, Illinois, I had no idea how the wind was going to blow. I had no idea that I was going to join a pastoral staff at that church with that crazy carpenter figgy and and that Brandon guy who's running this incredible ministry in Indiana. I had no idea that the wind was going to blow us to Jenny's hometown of the south side of Indianapolis. Had no idea. And, And I was thinking, like, how long the wind has been blowing. For to me, this is just really fascinating to think about some of the ways that the wind blows, and you can't really predict it. You don't know where it's going to come from, where it's going to lead. A lot of times you can do these plans, but then things happen. The wind blows and circumstances come up. The wind blows and a great couple, the Friesens, move to town or part of Brandon's ministry. Or somebody, the wind blows and Matthew Harris ends up being a part of this great ministry. Well, in the early 50s, when this thing, this, this church right here was starting, this one was originally called South Meridian Church of God. Well, in Anderson, there was another South Meridian Church of God, and they got to keep the name, but we didn't for whatever reason. 
And there were a couple of young couples. They didn't have any kids yet. Uh, one of the couples was named Dick and Violet Hurd, and another couple was named Jack and Gloria Munn. They went to the same church, South Meridian Church of God, had no kids yet, and then they kind of moved away. The wind blew them into different places. One couple went into Illinois, one ended up in Indianapolis. And I was thinking, they, that, those two couples without kids, my grandpa played on a basketball team with with Brandon's grandpa, and Glory even brought me like the, the clippings of the newspaper to see their stats. It looked like Brandon's grandpa was the best player on the team, I have to admit. <laughs> of course. Uh, but like, th- they had no idea. Because when I told my grandparents, and I had heard before from so many people, because John Crump, the son of Ron Crump, who was a pastor here for a long time, kept telling me, there's this Gloria Mon, and she's like the best church person ever. So, like, I heard this name as, like, Gloria Munn, and Munn and Maud are kind of close names, but they're different enough, so you don't just assume they're connected, right? So, so I'm, I tell my grandpa this, and he's like, Gloria Munn goes to that church. She is the best person. I've heard that before. And she, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's give her. And she, she is the best church organist I've ever heard. So, like, and thinking, they had no idea how the wind was going to blow, and what the wind of the Spirit, and who the wind is going to blow across our paths. A few years ago, again, we had no idea how the wind was going to blow. There was a ministry student at Mid-America Church of God, and Mid-America Church of God, I'm sorry, Mid-America Christian University, and uh, she's home and visited her sister who is on staff here. Uh, she was a ministry student after she graduated. She ended up as a camp director at Camp Challenge in Bedford. She had a calling. We invited her to preach. She preached. And I don't, think, I, think, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I think we were really surprised how somebody so young was such a good preacher and had so much knowledge. <laughs> pastor Emily, we had no idea when she was preaching or when we invited her to speak that that would lead to another pastor here. And one of the early sermons, she was talking about the wild goose chase. Again, we've talked about some of the some of the difficulties in translation, well, they were, they were struggling to translate Holy Spirit into a Celtic language. They just didn't have equivalent words, so they came up, their best guess was wild goose. So in the Celtic world, the early Christians, they were following the wild goose, wherever the Spirit would lead, and that fits so well with the wind that blows wherever it will. So we are on this wild goose chase where the Spirit has blown us together. And I love that idea of it. there's an adventure in this. We can make plans, and plans are good, but we don't know what's going to happen. We made some plans in 2020, but none of us saw the, the shutdown coming, right? Plan all you want, but then circumstances are going to happen and just going to blow people in different ways. So what does this have to do with loving God with all of our strength? So it sounds like in some ways I'm saying we're just blown and tossed by the wind wherever it, it leads us. Is, is this a passive thing? And, and I would say absolutely not because choices are involved in this too. It's not just, oh, it, sometimes it is. Sometimes we don't have a choice. Sometimes we do. But the Apostle Paul, I think, did a really good job trying to balance these two ideas that were led by the Spirit and that circumstances and where we are make a big difference and our choices do too. And what we do matters. Our labor matters. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, in a classic passage, Paul wrote, 
to the church in Ephesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. We didn't have anything to do with it, right? Not by works that no one can boast. But then he goes on and says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's ways are so mysterious to, to us. We don't know how the wind is going to blow. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. And there is a good a phrase that for me that's really good to remember. It helps me kind of center, and it's this. Pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on you. And I am guilty of both, both ones. Sometimes I pray like it depends on God and just hope God will do something and I don't have, any, have to do anything about it. And sometimes I work like it depends on me and forget about God at all. I just think it's all on me. But it, neither one work. In August, I was in more of a stretch of working like it depended on me and not praying like it depended on God. And I developed a case of what I call stress brain. Now, stress brain is where, like, for me, when it really slows down, in August, it was weird. And I had this time in, in the lobby, and Pastor Emily was out talking to me. And you know those wheels on a computer when things are loading? I was trying really hard to follow what she was saying, but I felt like my eyes were, like, spinning around like those little circles, like, loading. <laughs> and I was trying to catch up, so she looked at me, and she says, I'm in charge now, you go. Sounds kind of like the Great Commission, but I think the go was an imperative. And fortunately, I, I listened, and, and uh, we had like a, just a little bit of quiet time. That was a great Sunday. As a Sunday, Taylor Johnson was baptized, and that was an awesome Sunday for us. Taylor's the guy who prayed for me right before the service. It was fantastic. Um, but uh, in the aftermath, like thinking about this and thinking about like, working too much or too little. And there was an old phrase that was pretty popular. They said, I would rather burn out than rust out, right? And if those are your only two options, I suppose I agree. <laughs> but this is a false dichotomy because we don't really have to do either one. I think Teddy Roosevelt was the one, so he thought it was. And he burned out, by the way. But that's not how Jesus leads us. Like, Jesus leads us to work and to rest. If we study his teachings, he leads us to he leads us to go do things, to use our labor, and he leads us beside quiet waters to lay down and rest sometimes. It's both. We're we're called to use our strength to maximum potential, which includes rhythms of work and rest. It's not all down work all the time or that's burnout or I'm just going to wait, not do much, uh, look at the roses, whatever. Like, it is a, it is both. Recently, there was some training for some of us pastors, and the guy was talking about this balance of work and rest, and, and his example was LeBron James. Don't react one way or another. We're not going <laughs> to. Uh, but anyway, LeBron James, uh, he has had a long and storied, prolific career in basketball. He's been an incredible basketball player. And he's getting older now, and he's still in great shape. He's been good for a long time. All-time leading scorer in the NBA, and he's still got, it seems like, years to go. So how does somebody like that do it? Well, the guy explained that LeBron James has a full-time coach 
whose only job is to manage LeBron James' recovery. LeBron James has to work really hard to be a good basketball player, but he also has to rest. Because if you just work and you never rest, so he's recognized that recovery is a big part of that staying in shape and staying, using your strength to maximum potential. That one Sunday where I was toggling and then kind of recovered for the service, fortunately, later that evening, I left for some quiet time away to turkey run because I, I was recognizing my brain was a little bit overrun. And I'm just going to read what I wrote while I was there. My family has been calling turkey run, turkey overrun, because it has been overcrowded the last few times we visited. On Monday, it rained all day. I didn't do much, as the rest and rain seemed to clear the fog from my brain. After the rain cleared, I went on to Trail 3 to hike. If you've been on Trail 3, that's the best one in Indiana, isn't it? Yeah. And it was glorious. I saw almost no one on the trail that is usually overcrowded with people. The rain had left the riverbeds full of rushing water. There were beautiful rays of sunlight coming through the cracks in the tree line. It was perhaps my favorite hiking experience as I climbed over rocks and waterfalls and ladders. My brain had been overrun, and it was thawing. I did not enjoy turkey overrun, but when it was not overrun... It is wonderful. I want to find my, a way to keep my soul from being overloaded. We are all called to carry a load, but not to overload. Underload can be a problem, and so can overload. Because we're called to, to love the Lord with all of our strength. And, and we're serious about that because work is, can be a great thing. Work and rest. Some people, you know, just work so they can get to the weekend and rest. God has blessed both work and rest into something that can really make our lives meaningful. After I wrote this in my diary, now journal, this is a journal, okay? Uh, I, I looked, and I'd been using this since Jenny and I had a trip to Scotland. I'd been saving this journal. But I, I never, like, I, I noticed one of the words explore. But when I looked at this journal, I noticed that it said, go and explore. I was like, ah, that fits the Great Commission so well for me. By nature, I'm an explorer. Like, I like to discover new foods. I like to go to new places, learn about new culture, learn new things. And there's a part of that for me that it's just like the Great Commission. We're to go and disciple. Disciple is learner. We're to go and explore. We look at the application for this, using our strength, loving the Lord with all of our strength, work and rest and, and trying to figure it all out and, and the way the wind blows. I want to turn to words of John Wesley, and he said this, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. Now, at first glance, this might sound like a recipe for burnout, but notice here he says the word, you can, as long as you can. Sometimes that overloading comes when we're going longer than we can and have missed some of that rest. So, I think in the application, looking at this, because Jesus has clearly called us to, to follow him, to be led by the Spirit on this great adventure, 
and do all the good that we can, trusting that God will do good, do good too. That God, it's not just us doing good, but, but we're partnering with God, trusting his leading. If you're even trying to do something is just simply following Jesus and trying to be a good neighbor, the wind is going to blow. And you never know what's going to happen because we're just called to do those small things. Love the neighbor. Say hello. Introduce yourself. Make cookies that bless and with prayer. Listen, eat, serve stories. We're just called to do those little things. And as we do, then the signs follow. Then we see God at work too as we both take action in obedience to Christ. So work, work small because just as Brandon mentioned uh, at, that, at that convention 10 years ago, God is the hero. Like, God is the hero of this thing. Brandon texted me last week, and I said there was something I was going to tell him right after the sermon. It was, I know you're going to hate this one. Because <laughs> he knows he doesn't want to be in the spotlight because he's clearly said it's God. It is not me. And that is the message I want to team up, that God's the hero. It's not Figgy. It's not a pastor. It's God who is the hero, and God's doing things. Because God takes what man uses for evil, what man uses for exploitation and violence and, and to harm people, and he uses it for good, something beautiful that blesses. Because we have a God who turns beauty to ashes. God takes that, again, which is evil, makes it good. He takes strip clubs and makes them into community centers. He takes graves, and he makes them into gardens. And God is the only one who can do this. Fortunately, he does it with people who love the Lord with all their strength, as we get to sit back and just see the really amazing things that God does. Will you pray with me? This is the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So if you want to look up at the screen, and we can just pray this prayer. We can read this prayer together. We know we can't go wrong because Jesus taught us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. 